Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, as Jesus got down closer to the end of his time with his disciples, he took them on a trip. And he took the headed northeast up across Jerusalem, up above the Sea of Galilee and the towns there, and kept going northeast until he was actually out of what would be considered Israel. And he was in a Gentile area. It wasn't a Jewish area. He took them out into a Gentile area, actually into an area that was known for its worship of the Greek god Pan. It's a, a, a goat kind of a thing. Uh, so a very pagan area. He removed them from his, their people. He removed them away from the, the Jewish people, especially the religious opposition, and got them out there alone in, in uh, the area of the world which so desperately needed to know God and had a conversation with them. And they asked them, who do, who do men say that I am? What are you hearing? What are people saying? Oh, well, some say you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. Some say you're, you know, Jeremiah or the prophet, Elijah, who's to come, uh, all these things. And then I think he, you know, he sits there and, and I don't know how long they talked about that, but then he asked them, he says, but who do you say that I am? You realize that's what matters all the time, right? Amen. It's what do you say? with respect to your relationship to God and what you believe about it. And Peter, uh, as, as Jesus says in a little bit, uh, with the Holy Spirit working his life and helping him to see and understand, he says, you are the Messiah. You're this promised one, the Christ. And you're the son of the living God. And then Jesus affirms that. And, and uses a play on words to, with Peter's name to, to say that he's going to build his church on this truth. That he is the Christ, he is the son of the living God, he's the savior of the world. He's going to build the truth on that. And then he tells Peter, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Well, what did he mean by that? Uh, it isn't that he made Peter the first, and I'm just, just being real, he didn't make him the first pope. It's not what the Bible's teaching us by any stretch of the imagination. We're talking about sharing the gospel. Go ahead and go forward two slides if you would there, Sergey. And so what we see here, go ahead one more. Jesus gave Peter the privilege of opening up the gospel to the Jews and to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles, which meant to the whole rest of the world. Because how do we get saved? We hear the gospel, right? The gospel that tells us that, that, you know, we're in trouble because we've sinned against the holy God and we can't fix it. There's not enough good we could possibly do and it doesn't work that way anyway. And, and so we come to realize that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. He's the son of God, just like Peter did. And then we put our faith in him and trust him and receive him as savior. And he forgives every sin, right? And we get eternal life and, and then he changes our lives. He actually moves into us and never moves out. So we hear the gospel preached and that's how we get saved. And if you haven't done that, if you haven't made that decision, you really need to. 
And if you have questions about it, it would be perfectly understandable you'd have questions about it. Please talk to me afterwards or reach out to someone here that you know probably knows those answers to your questions. But so Peter had the privilege of sharing the gospel with his group. Because remember on the day of Pentecost, we looked at that in Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up and proclaims the gospel. The first day it's ever been proclaimed like that to the Jewish people who were there in Jerusalem. Then we get over into chapter 8, which we did not look at in this series. But Peter gets called to Samaria, which was... These people claim to be Jewish. Their heritage really wasn't Jewish, but yet they believed the law of Moses. And so, you know, the Jews had this kind of a, eh, they didn't really like Samaritans very well, just to be honest. Um, they didn't really feel like they wanted. But nonetheless, they heard the gospel and they were, you know, believing. And, and so God sends Peter there and he, he talks, gives the gospel to them. And then the, the Holy Spirit comes upon them just like he did on them in the beginning, like we saw in Acts chapter 2. And so the Samaritans get saved. So Peter had the privilege of opening up that part of the kingdom of God to people. And then what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 10, Peter also opens up the gospel to the Gentiles, which is really good news for us. I, there might be, I think there's one of us here, maybe there's more that I don't know about, who are of Jewish heritage, okay? Uh, which is a cool thing, if you are. But most of us aren't. And so what we see here in Acts chapter 10 is really important. Why? It's how we got the gospel. It's how the gospel came to us, that we receive the Lord as Savior. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10, page 1265. That's the Bible that's there in the chairs in front of you. And again, if you don't have a Bible or you don't have a Bible on your phone, we really encourage you to follow along in that Bible that's under the chairs. All right, so last week in chapter 9, we saw how Saul had his life dramatically changed by the gospel, preaches the gospel. They finally had to send him away. He's causing too much trouble. <laughs> There's peace in the church. So uh, Peter has worked a miracle at the end of chapter nine and now we get to verse no, or chapter 10 and verse number one. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. Caesarea is kind of on the north, northwest, no, excuse me, west, northwest, side of Israel on the Mediterranean Sea. This was where the Roman stronghold was and from which they ruled all of the area there in the Middle East. And so there was a certain, uh, 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 there was a man called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. A centurion was, we'd call a non-commissioned officer. They'd come up through the ranks and had earned this privilege. And century means what when it comes to numbers? Hundred. So centurion, he was a ruler of hundreds is what he was. And typically a regiment was considered to be 600, but they'd run anywhere from 300 to 600. So this centurion is over a force of three to 600 Roman soldiers. Now, how did the Jewish people feel about Rome at this time? They were an occupying territory, weren't they? Okay. They, they were occupy, an occupying army. I mean, they're there and they, they, they don't have to get permission to punish people. It's just, it's not a great time for the Jewish people. All right, so that this is man there, telling us and setting it up. Verse two, look how he's described. 
a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So we find this man who is not a Jew, he's not a Christian, but he believes there's a God. He believes there's a God and, and he prays this God and he believes that this God, living, knowing that this God is there should affect how he lives and so it affects what he does and how he lives. But he is not saved. He is not made right with God yet. Let's continue. About the ninth hour of the day. Now here in, in Acts when we're talking about the day there, they are using a timetable that the day starts about six in the morning, okay? And so there's 12 hours a day, 12 hours a night in, in general. And so the ninth hour is nine hours after 6 a.m. So about three o'clock in the afternoon, middle of the afternoon. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. God has seen, God has taken notes. He sees where your heart is at. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Another guy named Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Peter will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all things, these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. All right, so we see God very much at work in Cornelius' life, isn't he? And apparently he's had an influence on the people around him. He, one of his soldiers is like him, believes that there's this God that we, we need to know and, and to, to live the way he wants us to live. And probably his household servants, the same thing. Okay, so he'd had an had a influence on them. And send, send to Joppa to, to get Peter. It's about a 10-hour walk. And I don't know that by experience, okay? <laughs> it's 25 miles, about 25 miles is where he had to send them, so... They probably headed out the next morning. Verse nine. Well, before I go farther, do you see how God was preparing Cornelius? Was God preparing Cornelius? Yes. God had been working. Cornelius wasn't coming in as a totally blank slate. He was coming in believing in God and wanting to know what God said. God was very much preparing Cornelius' heart and mind. Verse nine. The next day as they went on their journey, and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now that sounds kind of strange. Any of you ever gone up on your house just to pray on the top of your roof? Now when you get up on your roof, you may do some praying, right? <laughs> that you don't fall off. But I was their households, they had flat roofs and it was, it was a place that they could go. Uh, they oftentimes had like, not a, a tent, but a covering from the sun. And so you could be up there, you'd feel the breezes. And uh, so Peter goes up onto the rooftop there. And he went up there to pray, to be alone with God. Verse 10, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. That's what happens to you guys about the last 10 minutes of my sermons. <laughs> so he's hungry, wants to eat. But while they made ready, so they are getting lunch ready here. But while they made ready, 
he fell into a trance. And, and that sounds kind of weird to us, but the idea is God is now showing up, getting Peter's attention and making him pay attention. Okay. And he's in verse 11, and he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. So, you know, it seems kind of strange to us again, but God has given Peter this vision. And this, he has these animals, somehow he sees them on this huge sheet thing that's being let down. And he looks at it and he recognizes, wait, that animal, the law says, remember he was Jewish, right? And we're all familiar, right, that the Jewish people have what they call kosher, right? Things that they can eat, things that they can't eat. And this is what was going on. God is showing him animals here that eat, that he says, that's not kosher. <laughs> that's not kosher. And that's not kosher. And it puts Peter in kind of a bind. Because who's telling him to, to eat? God's telling him to eat. Okay? And yet, but Lord, no. I'm not supposed to eat. I don't haven't eaten those things. I don't eat those things. And, and because they're, they're common or they don't meet the laws of kosher or they're unclean. The same idea. Makes you ceremonially unclean. And if you eat something like that that you weren't supposed to, you had to go through all these different ceremonies to get back to where you could go in and worship God again. So uh, it put Peter in a bind here. And let me see if I can just get this a little bit clearer for us. And what I've done is I've just come up with a list, uh, show you some things that if you're going to follow those laws, you're not going to eat. And this is, in essence, what's going on, right? So go ahead and go to that slide, you know. No bacon, no ham, right? Uh, no cheeseburgers, because they're not supposed to eat dairy and meat together, okay? Uh, no lobsters, no, the, down here it's the sirloin steak. You're not supposed to eat that, especially with ice cream for dessert. Can't do that. You no know, lobsters, no shrimp. We could probably find a few other things to put on the list. But Peter says, no way. I can't do that. I, I'm not allowed to eat that because it's unclean. And what does God say to him? If I'm telling you to eat, I'm saying it's okay. That means it's not unclean. Don't call it unclean if I'm saying it's clean. So God is challenging Peter. You have a mindset about things that needs to change. You need to change your mind to match my mind. By the way, that's always a good idea when it comes Amen. to God. Amen. That we would change our minds to match what he says. Okay. And, um, and so he does this three times. And I think that's probably significant. How many people did Cornelius send? How many people did Cornelius send to Peter? No. Nope. He sent him one soldier and two of his servants. How many? Three. It could have been three for a different reason. But nonetheless, he repeats this three times with Peter. And what we're going to see before we're done is quite clear is that God is not talking about food, although that did change. Right? The Jewish law had been fulfilled. Who fulfilled the Jewish law? Christ. Jesus did. That's right. He fulfilled the whole thing. So we're not under those laws anymore. 
morality is still morality. We're not talking about that. But God is making a point here it, it, because we're, we're getting ready to open the kingdom of heaven to the last big group, us. And so what God is talking about is not food. He's talking about people. That's what he's really trying to get Peter to see. And he does this three times because guess what? Three people have shown up at his door who are not Jews, they are Gentiles. And the Jewish people, as Peter will say in a little bit, did not hang out with Gentiles. They did business with them as they needed to, but they weren't having supper together, okay? Just wasn't done, that was their mindset. Not because God had told them that, but this is how they had come to apply the differences of being a Jew from a Gentile. So let's read on. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, he didn't get it yet. I mean, he's getting God is saying, I guess that's not unclean anymore, but what's, what's he getting at? Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Three men. Arise, therefore. This is why I think that the Lord is, it did this three times, because I think he's trying to get Peter to connect this vision with people. He's trying to get him to see it. Okay. We did this three times. Three times I told you, don't call unclean. What I said is clean. By the way, there are three men who've come for you. Verse 20, arise therefore, go down and go with them doubting nothing. For I have sent them. Man, God is in the mix here the whole time. Verse 21, then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them. And some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Peter was Jewish by birth, wasn't he? Jewish by practice. Uh, he had come to believe that Jesus was their Messiah, the Savior, right? He'd come to believe all that. He was still Jewish. And these friends who were with him are also Jewish believers in Christ. And so they all go with him to see what's going on. It's not going to be just Peter. Verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Now we think worshiping, you know, like what we're doing here today, worshiping God and acknowledging him. But this word that's most of the time in our New Testament, we see worship like this. It means that you are bowing down in front of somebody. And so it was a way that people showed honor to each other. Um, you might be required to bow before somebody. And so that, that same word can be used. So this idea, he's bowing down before him. I don't think he's thinking that Peter is God, but he sure thinks that Peter must be something really special because God had told him to go find him. 
And of course, Jewish people aren't up into that because he's only God should be worshiped. Verse 26, but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation to, to hang out with Gentiles. But God, boy, so many things in our lives, we are, but God. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Did Peter get the message? He didn't necessarily still understand fully what it meant, but he got it. We're talking about people here. Verse 29, therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? Because God hadn't told him that. So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms, and alms is your, your giving, your charitable giving, your alms, where did I go? Oh, there, are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And this really is not part of where this sermon is going, but I've got to tell you, that's the pastor's dream audience. When we come together, is it, is it a positive thing for you that you get to, to be with some people that you know and like and care about? Yes. Yes. But why do you do that? For Christians, we do it because the Lord has told us to do that, right? Yes. And the Lord is present when we're doing that. And so this is what they're, they're here before God. Okay? Uh, we come. Do we come to sing songs? Just easy answers, yes, okay? But we come to sing songs where? To the Lord and about the Lord. So again, here before God. And so the idea for, for as a pastor, you know, if, if you guys are all here saying, we're here because God's got us here. This is about the Lord and what he's done in our lives and what he's doing and what he's wanting us to do that maybe we don't understand. We're here because of God. And pastor, we want to hear what God has told you to tell us. Ooh. That's good. I like that. All right. That was a sidetrack. All right. So they're ready to hear. And as Peter hears what's going on, it really affects him. And it's, it's really shaping his thinking. Verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Okay, so you don't have to be a Jew to be saved. You don't have to be a Samaritan. You, have to be, you can even be a Gentile and be saved. This was news for Peter. Verse 36, he says, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we, me, Peter, and the others with me, we are witnesses of all things which he did. 
both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Why would he say ate and drank with them? So they want to know, he really rose. You don't eat and drink with a vision or a ghost. You eat and drink with a human being. He's risen. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. There's the gospel, right? This is Jesus. He's the one who died for us and rose again. And if you put your faith in him, sin's forgiven. Sin's washed away never to be held against you in eternity. Such, such good news. Now, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. We're assuming they believed here, okay? I think with good reason. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Now, the circumcision was how they would refer to the Jewish people because the Gentiles weren't circumcised, the Jews, that was part of their religious practices. And so when it talks about the circumcision, he's talking about these are Jewish people who had believed. And when they see the Holy Spirit come upon these people, they are astonished, why? Because they, like Peter, did not think this was for the Gentiles. This is for us who are God's people, us Jews, you know. And they're astonished that this has happened. So as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Let's just stop there for just a moment. I want to jump to the next uh, chapter for a moment. Peter gets called on the carpet for going and spending time with the Gentiles. Right? He gets back to Jerusalem and word gets back there. So what are you doing? Uh, we're Jews. Anyway, so he has to defend and tell them what had happened. And I want you to see if you go uh, over to verse number 15 in chapter 11. He's saying, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us. What's the next three words? At the beginning. That's right. So the Holy Spirit falling upon them and speaking with these languages that they had never learned, miraculously doing so, Peter, this is what happens with these Gentiles. And this is how God is letting them know that they got the same thing you got, Peter. Peter did not say, hey, look, they, are, they were doing the same thing that we do every Sunday. Or every, every day when we pray or whatever, he didn't know. And he says what? What we saw happen was the same thing that happened to us, what? Back at the beginning. This is eight to nine years later. So this idea was not something that they normally saw. They saw it happen with the Samaritans and then they see it happening with the Gentiles here. Very clear, God is making clear, these people have got and received exactly what you did, Peter, when you believed. Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid, I'm sorry, I'm back in chapter 10, end of chapter 10. 
Verse 47, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Okay. Um, so this is how God opens up the gospel to me, to you. All of us who were never part of the Jewish people, never part of that heritage. So what's the main point for us in this passage? You know, we, we want to look and see what's the overview here. And, and certainly, very literally, it was God is opening up the gospel to the Gentiles through Peter in such a way that they know it's from him. But the gospel and a saving relationship with Christ is for everyone in the world. For everyone. Now, if I asked that today, you probably would have said, sure, right? Who's the gospel and salvation for? We would say what? Everyone. everyone anyone. Everyone. Okay. Uh, and we intellectually know that and know that's true. I don't think we're always emotionally there. Because let me add to this. Even the ones we don't like or feel comfortable with. Hmm. I mean, we might say, well, technically they can get saved, but... Um, for Peter, it was a Jewish Gentile issue, right? And God makes clear, no, it's not Jews. It's not even Gentiles. It's about Jesus for everybody, okay? Um, for us, it could be any people group, any ethnic group or cultural group that maybe we look down on or try to stay separate from. So just listen to this. That person who personifies the things you detest, think about this in life. The person who personifies those things that you detest, who lives so differently than you do, who doesn't share your values, who seems harsh or disinterested or whatever, the gospel is for them too. That means if you're a Republican, the gospel is for Democrats too. <laughs> if you're a Democrat, that means the gospel is for Republicans too. That's kind of a silly, but you see what I'm starting to say? You know, the next time that you find yourself hearing somebody or listening to somebody on the news or reading what somebody says, and you're like, I can't believe that. This is, it would do us well I mean, I understand why we feel that way, but it would do us well to say, oh Lord, you died for this person. Please just work in their life somehow to get them to you. Right, the gospel is for everyone in the world and we need to remember that. Not, it's not about Jews, not about Gentiles, not about any, it's about Jesus coming to save anyone who will believe and everyone who will believe. All right, so what are some applications we can make from this? Things to apply to our lives as individuals and as a church. And, and the first application is this, that God is preparing people for us to reach with the gospel. Starting with our neighbors, and I'll tell you why it's in quotes, and extending to the nations. I put neighbors in quotes because the idea is neighbors isn't necessarily always who lives next to you. 
It's Jesus talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's these people that God puts in your life who need the gospel. That's who your neighbors are. People you work with, people that you're friends with, people that you do business with. Those are your neighbors, okay? And so what did we see God doing with Cornelius? He was what? Preparing him for the gospel, wasn't he? Now, you notice that God did not give him the gospel. Whose job is that? Well, it's look, it's right up there. It's all of us. Go and make disciples of all the nations. This is our job. It's the Christian's job. So God doesn't tell Cornelius. He, I mean, God could have said, okay, here's what you need to know, and here's what you need to do. And here's, he says, no, go find Peter. Peter will tell you. Okay? And, um, but God was preparing him. Do you, you know that in the Muslim world, there is out there, and they, they've heard of it, they know of it, it's called the Jesus dream. God in his great mercy has shown up in thousands, maybe millions of Muslims' dreams. A man in white clothing taught him, and many times they know it's Jesus, other times they don't, they just know it's a man in white clothing, telling them that they need to go find those Christians and talk to them. You need to go hear what they, they'll tell you what you need to do. Isn't that amazing? God, but he's working, he's preparing them for the gospel. Um, and what I want you to see is this, that those people who are your neighbors, I'm absolutely convinced that God is preparing them to hear the gospel. Now they may say no to God, God leaves them free to do that. But he has been preparing, he's been bringing things into their lives, he's, he's causing them to think about things, he's, he's working in their lives, preparing them for what? For us to share the gospel. And the reason I'm convinced is because they wouldn't be in your life if God wasn't wanting you to be a witness to them. Okay? And now what that witness is going to look like, how it plays out, that's, that's God's business there. So just as surely as God was preparing Cornelius, was God preparing Peter? Yes. Peter wasn't ready for this, was he? God had to prepare him for it. And so just as surely as God is preparing people, God has uniquely prepared each of us to share the gospel with our neighbors and then together to reach the nations. Um, every one of us have a unique story. And very time, many times those unique stories are similar, right? But every one of us has some sort of unique story. And, and God will use that as he prepares us to reach the people that he has for us to reach. In other words, there are probably people that God has for me or someone like me to reach. And you say, well, I'm not all like you, Walt. That's good for you, okay? But there are people that you can reach with the gospel, at least get the gospel to them, that I will never have an opportunity to do so. Okay, so God is preparing people for the gospel. He's preparing us to present the gospel. And so here's, here's a kind of a sad thought, but we're not living like Christians if we waste these opportunities. If we aren't taking these opportunities seriously, and, and none of us are going to be perfect in this, but we aren't serious about pursuing this, we're not living like Christians. Because, you know, Christianity that does not include the desire and, and the activity of trying to get the gospel, share this good news with other people, really is not Christianity. It has parts of Christian, but it's not what Christianity is intended to be. Okay? 
So it's sad, something that's sad to think is this. This is kind of a realization that came to me as I was working on this. It may be that the biggest obstacle to people coming to Christ is not their opposition, but our unwillingness to share the gospel. If God has prepared someone who's in my life and I never am responsive to that, I never seek to be openly Christian, I never ask questions that might lead to a conversation, I never just share maybe what's going on in my life with my relationship with Christ. If I never do that, what's the biggest obstacle for them? It's me. I'm not doing it. And we really need to let this settle in. Okay? And this can take a couple forms. So it can be active unwillingness or passive unwillingness. Active unwillingness is, no, I'm not going to do that. It's, it's, I don't have time right now. It's inconvenient. No, I don't want to put myself out there and take the chance of getting, you know, attacked. And I'm not going to do that. And then there's a passive unwillingness where it just, we just don't think about it. We go about our lives and we just aren't thinking about it. We aren't doing it. So, in 2008, when we, as a, a group of church leaders, had prayed about how do we talk about what God has given us to do, this is what the Lord led us to, that we do three things. We surrender to the Lord, we grow to be like the Lord, we tell others about the Lord. And so this is the third one, right? Tell others about the Lord. Are you a Christian? Do you know the Lord? Then you need to tell others about the Lord. And maybe you need help with it. That's fine. You know, and, and you say, well, if I do that, I'm going to mess it up. Well, I wouldn't worry about that so much. God is bigger than you are and can help with that. And I would encourage you not to be stupid when it comes to witnessing. But we can talk more about that as we go. So when we talk about telling others about the Lord, we're talking about these kinds of things. Your personal witness to those neighbors that God has put in your life, right? You being aware of that, alert to that, trying to share the faith, okay? And then it's praying for each other about this because I'm not the only one that has this responsibility here, am I? Any of you got this responsibility too? Right, we do. So I should pray for you. God, help my brothers and sisters in Christ here be faithful witnesses for you today wherever you lead them. Pray for each other. And if God all of a sudden, somebody comes to mind, pray for that person specifically about these things. Uh, financial support for missionaries because Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, do this would be witnesses in the whole world. Well, how are you and I gonna do that if we're here? We need to what? Let's put some money to that and help get somebody there who can tell them. Prayers for those missionaries that we support. I, I've not done this, I, I'm gonna do better. Definitely going to do better. But there are many times I've prayed, God, today, you know, would you, maybe there's someone there in that country that you could, this missionary I'm praying for, lead into that one person who would open the door to many. Because sometimes you get one person who comes to Christ and, shoo, Lord, lead into that. But we're praying for those missionaries. Uh, prayers for God to be working in the hearts of people all over the world for the gospel and that God would work in the hearts of Christians all over the world to share that gospel so that connection gets made. So here's some action steps for, for us today. As a church, uh, on Sunday mornings, we're going to be take, begin taking just a short time, not long, but I'm, I can't, yeah, let's say most weeks, if not every week, to just remind us about 
you know, maybe as missionaries we support and how to pray for them or something about our witness, you know, to encourage us in it and to remind us of it or maybe something we got going on that you could use as a way to, to connect some with the gospel. So we're going to just take a portion of that and we'll pray together about that, okay? Um, and here's my challenge to you. I have two. One is a big challenge and the other is huge. Which do you want first? I'm going to give you the big one first. I want you to begin asking God every day to give you an opportunity to witness to the people he's been preparing for you to witness to. And you don't necessarily know who those are. There's people you already know, maybe people we haven't met yet. But God delights to answer the prayers that we pray according to his heart and his will. And is his heart and his will for us to reach people for Christ? Is it? Man, he's ready to answer that one. God, please, you know, I, I would love to have an opportunity today to, to be open about my faith with someone. And God, you know me, I'm scared to death about it. I don't know how to answer questions, but God, you've changed in my life and I want, I'd love to have an opportunity to share that today, Lord. I, he'll give them to you. He will. That's the big one. Now, the huge one is this. I want every one of us here today to surrender to be a missionary. That's not the whole thing. Surrender to be a missionary and then follow him wherever he leads. Wherever he leads. And he may lead you right where you are. In fact, most of us are going to end up right where we are. But do you understand that as Christians, who did Jesus give this command to? Go and make disciples of your neighborhood, of your workplace, of, no, he said what? All the nations. That means I have a responsibility to try to see to it that the gospel gets to all the nations. And I, that starts with me saying, God, I am, it's hard, I'm, but once again, I may be scared to death to say this, but God, I am willing to go be a missionary for you. I'm willing to let you change my life from what I'm doing now to something totally different. You may want to go someplace else in the world. But if not, I'm, uh, whatever. But we're talking about the surrender. You see that? And there's nothing that could possibly be better in your life than to surrender the Lord and follow his leading. There's no greater thing you could ever experience in your life. And so it just might be that one of you would say, God, okay, I surrendered to be a missionary and then all of a sudden God starts working your life and you start going, oh, I guess God took me seriously. And through progression, when I was, I got saved when I was 19 years old and I was in church and we had missions conferences and things, people came through and you know that what I surrendered to, I mean, I surrendered to whatever you want, God, anytime, but it was very much missions, to be a missionary. When Glenda and I went away to Bible college, we enrolled in the missions program and we weren't sure what we were supposed to do or go, but we're ready to go. And God led us here and what we're doing. But we, if you get a heart for missions, you just, just surrender to be a missionary. Wouldn't it be cool if all of a sudden half a dozen of us started making plans and working and changing to send people out around the world from our church? And don't think, yeah, I hope that person goes. <laughs> really, I thought it would just, it would be transforming for us. Okay. 
this whole idea of, of what we're talking about here today, does, it, does anybody here feel like, man, what you're talking about is really going to press me out of my comfort zone? Anybody? I'm asking. Do you raise your hand? If you feel like being a witness or something might press you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Man, how come we aren't witnessing more of that? It pushes me out of my comfort zone. I'm doing fine here drinking my coffee at McDonald's. Leave me alone. <laughs> but here's someone, right? That's out of my comfort zone. And I got to thinking, you remember the old song, uh, it was in Pinocchio, Jiminy Cricket. It's not the greatest advice, but he says, always let your conscience be your guide, right? The American Christian version of that song is always let your comfort be your guide. And so we have to really be honestly willing to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone. And guess what? When, when you get outside of your comfort zone because the Lord has led you there, you discover that when Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter, he was right. To push yourself outside of your comfort zone, find yourself working in close proximity with the comforter. Okay? He'll take you. So anyway, but say I'm going to be a missionary uh, he may keep you right here. He may prepare you to go someplace else in the world. Another way that he might do, you become more personally connected with a specific missionary. And by the way, so next week, it's part of the sermon, probably I'm going to introduce you to our missionaries. Okay? So you can know who these people are and you can maybe begin to pray for one of them especially or help financially or, or be involved in and be a cheerleader for them. You know, connect with them via email or whatever and, and encourage them and tell them you're praying for them. Anything that the Lord might burden us about individually as a church related to the Great Commission, we got to do. So I want you to pray every day. Ask God to, if you forget to pray for a day, big deal, do it the next day. If you find you realize, I haven't been doing that for the last month. Do it the next day. Let's pray every day that God would give us an opportunity to, to share our faith with someone. And then do it. Surrender to God to be a missionary. Even if you're 80 years old, Bob. Right? Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for this challenge and, and really this great great mission that you have included us in and, and, and to know that you're working in the lives of people around us remind us of that, that, that you're preparing them uh, to hear the gospel and we have some small part in that Lord, whatever that is, whether it's a, a full explanation of the gospel, whether it's just saying something that helps to encourage them in that direction, we want to follow your spirit but we want to be faithful Lord and we really do, and you need to stir our hearts and, and remind us so that we can be faithful because we're not going to get it on our own. So please work, Lord, help us to be a church that is always mindful about sharing what you have given us and done in our lives with those who need to hear it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.